For player profiles, in-depth features, and exclusive interviews, visit sfhandbook.com to learn more about the best young football players in the world. Hello, you're listening to the Scouted Football Podcast with me, Joe Donoghue. Club Brugge began their Champions League campaign this season in perfect fashion, scoring seven times and conceding none on their way to topping the group after three games. Positive results against FC Porto, Bayer Leverkusen and Atletico Madrid in Europe have been punctuated by the occasional slip-up at domestic level back in Belgium, where they currently sit third, eight points off Antwerp in top spot. Club Brugge earned something of a transitional phase after winning the Belgian title in four of their last five seasons. They've lost starman Charles de Catalara to AC Milan and head coach Philippe Clement to AS Monaco during 2022. But aside from middling league form, seem to be coping all right and have plenty of teenagers staking a real claim for regular minutes under new coach Carl Hufkins. With me to discuss all things Brugge, I'm delighted to welcome Belgian football expert and consultant Scott Coyne. Uh, Scott, how are things with you? I'm great, Joe. It's great to be here. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Uh, we were just saying before we started recording, I was, I've was i been really looking forward to doing uh, a club episode because they've been quite a curious team to follow this season, particularly in the Champions League, as I said in the uh, the introduction there. Before we get into to more of that, I want to start with, with you, Scott. You know, you, you run um, Coin Consultancy and uh, you obviously have a, a, a quite a following on the, the Belgian football podcast as well. Um, how was it that you first got into you know footballing consultancy and, and also um, with, with following Belgian football? Well, it's kind of a, it's a bit of a double-edged uh, sword, this story. I mean, I, I've been lucky enough to, to spend a reasonable amount of time in Belgium um, over the years doing a bit of travelling there. So I've seen a fair bit of the country and I've always liked it. So that was the first thing. Um, I, I've always loved, I've loved my football. So I think, you know, my love of that and Belgium were, were bound to come together at, at some point. And I, and I did keep a relatively close eye on the Belgian football um, landscape from my own home base um, in Scotland for, for a long time. Um, and around three years ago, when the, the Belgian football podcast started, uh, Ben Jackson, who, who founded the BFP, um, Ben Ben did a, a couple of episodes which were very much just you know kind of pilot episodes which was just him himself talking to himself effectively on his on his bedroom floor processing his thoughts because at that time he was writing uh, on Bears and football for a uh, tactical football analysis and I happened to get in touch with Ben very early on and said look this is great um, I would definitely listen to this pod I'm 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 into this um, and he sent me back a really nice message really quickly saying would you be interested in getting involved and I thought he actually meant just coming on as a guest to, to talk about my kind of love of the Belgian football scene um, but he was like no let's let's um, let's see what we can build here um, and I came along at roughly the same time as, as Ari Oris who's the third member of the BFP team um, and it's just kind of exploded really for us there's there's a huge appetite for for coverage of, of the Belgian league um, in, in the English language and nobody else was was doing that. So the the combination of Ben's tactical interest and you know my own love of Belgium and, and Belgian football and Joris who is is Belgian, uh, so he's a very important part of of, of the podcast um, for for a number of reasons. 
Um, it just kind of seemed the kind of perfect mix and people seem to really enjoy, you know, what, what we've been doing, producing a weekly show now for three years, covering all the latest action and throwing in extra special episodes as often as we can with, with guests from, from inside clubs to, to kind of look more closely at, you know, what might be going on at those clubs and across the, the Belgian footballing um, landscape. In terms of um, coin consultancy, that was something I started um, a few months ago. That's fairly a fairly recent thing for me and that really came out of the the increasing interest in Belgian football and uh, the appetite for it in, in English and I realised that because of the the contacts we've been developing at the Belgian Football Podcast that you know I, w- I would be able to use them um, in all sorts of different ways um, and what what I do with the consultancy really is it's, it's freelance and independent so it's an opportunity to, to work with players and agents and, and clubs and uh, other areas in the media to kind of cover Belgian football I mean just to give you a kind of brief example I've been working recently with a an agent who's based in England who has had some players uh, out in out in Belgium, um, and uh, I've been profiling some players for for him over the last few months. Players that you know he's interested in perhaps bringing to clubs in England and players from England over over to Belgium as well. So it's yeah, it's, it's freelance and independent, and kind of that's that's the real advantage of it. And obviously, I have very good contacts inside some clubs, so that can kind of help when it comes to you know the the due diligence around the, the kind of interesting and um, ever ever dramatic transfer process. Yeah, it sounds like a real um, a real good spread of skills there and a real division of labour, particularly with the, the BFP, the Belgian Football Podcast. Um, we had Ben on, on this podcast, uh, it must have been a season or two ago, um, discussing Anderlecht. Uh, and at the time, Albert Sambi Lokonga was still there, obviously now of Arsenal. Um, and as you say, you know, the, the tactical side of things, the, the the insight that he was able to provide was was really, really, really good and in-depth. Um, and, the you know, the consultancy side of things sounds really, really interesting. And um, the as I say, the, the spread of skills there, uh, the spread of, of contacts that I imagine you're able to get involved with uh, and get in touch with, it's certainly uh, something which uh, is of interest to me and I'm sure it is to, to many other, you know, scouts and, and whoever else listens to uh, listens to this episode of the pod. Um, today's episode, as we've discussed, is is Club Brugge, um, who are currently third in uh, the Belgian uh, top flight, uh, the A division, I should mention as well. So for, for novices and for beginners um, who may not have listened to a, to a Belgian podcast before or um, a, a pod on Belgian football, um, a brief recap might be useful for them in terms of what the Belgian league system is like. Yeah, sure. I mean, we get asked this. Um, I've, you know, if I had a, a pound for every time we get asked how the league system works in Belgium, I would be a very, very wealthy man by now because it is it is one of the most convoluted uh, systems um, in, in in Europe. Basically, uh, the top division has eighteen teams. Um, and after thirty four games, that's when uh, two playoffs. Um, kind of come into to place playoff one and playoff two playoff one consists of the top four sides and playoff two are the sides that finish fifth to eighth um the top four playoff for the title and uh, the sides who finish fifth to eighth playoff for um the uh, conference league um, spot. So it's a European playoff effectively. Um, the interesting thing about these playoffs is, and this is where it gets a bit more complex, after those 34 games and you reach that point, your points tally is halved. 
Um, and that's the bit that kind of usually people are unaware of. Um, so, you know, the side that you think has won the title sometimes isn't. And, you know, you have to you have to explain why that is to, to some people. But basically, when you get to the playoff stage, yeah, the, the, the top four meet each other again, um, home and away. Um, to, to to play off for the title. The really interesting thing about this season, as I was saying, is there's there's 18 teams. It's just got a bit spicier this year because it's uh, this is a season in which three teams will go down, um, and that's because of a they're they're finally addressing the the kind of COVID issue that the teams who would have been relegated uh, when COVID kicked off but stayed in the league after a legal challenge um, that's finally been ironed out. So after this season, the the division will return to, to its normal size um, of, of of sixteen teams. So the the pressure to stay in the division is is definitely greater this year than it has been for quite some time. Yeah, just looking at the table, as you, as you mentioned there, in in the top four places, you've got some of the usual suspects in your your Genks and your Club Brugas, but also some more surprising picks. Or but to uh, to to people who are not quite aficionados of the the Belgian top flight, uh, they may be surprised to see the likes of you know Antwerp and and Royal Union Sangulars in uh, those top four spots, uh, and then also a little bit further down the table, but mostly in the top half, you have got more historically um, reputable clubs, your Standard Liège, your Ghent. Uh, and Anderlecht. Um, but it's Club Brugge that, that we're going to talk about today. And um, they are currently third in, in the table, as I've, as I've touched on. Um, but it's the Champions League form, which really makes them an interesting um, topic of, of discussion, uh, especially for this podcast, because not only are they doing well, which is obviously a good starting point, but they're also doing well with a lot of young players. And that's despite having you know, quite considerable upheaval during 2022 at, at the managerial level uh, in terms of the squad. Um, I mean, is, is, is the Champions League for a Belgian club, is that the, 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 the main goal, especially for, for club this year? Because, you know, they've, um, as I said in the introduction, you know, they've won the title in four of the last five seasons. Is the Champions League, you know, and going a little bit further in that, is the potential prize money from sort of progressing in the Champions League more valuable than the domestic broadcast revenue and, and prize money for potentially winning the league? Well, that's actually a really interesting question, I think, because at the moment, the current TV deal's worth about 103 million euros, I think. And obviously that's distributed amongst amongst those 18 teams um, in, in a different way. But when you bear in mind that the, the Champions League, um, from, from club's perspective, they're obviously guaranteed in the region of, I think, 40 million euros just for qualifying for the group stage. And then there's additional money for, for winning games and, and for getting out of the group, which uh, I'm rather excited to say it looks like there's a very, very strong possibility. Not only are they going to get out of the group this season, but they're actually going to win it um, for the first time. Um, I think, you know, your question, Joe's good because it touches on something really interesting about, about club. And they're actually a very well-run club, particularly in a financial sense. And there's two aspects to that. Um you know, Vincent Manet, who's the chief executive there, and, and Bart Verheiger, the, the president, have been very good at um, one thing in particular, and that is obviously they've had a number of consistent seasons now of Champions League qualification in the group stages, which has guaranteed them that that £40 million, uh, on top of TV revenue and other commercial revenues, which, which is a big plus in itself. But they've also been very, very good with their outgoing transfers. They've really been squeezing seriously good fees 
for the players kind of going out over the course of a number of years now. So that combined uh, regular Champions League money and some really big outgoing transfers over the last three to four years um, have really helped them stay ahead of, of of other clubs because of that extra financial clout. It's difficult for clubs to compete with them um, because of that edge that they that they have. Um, so that's the thing that's kind of you know kept them ahead of a lot of the competition. I mean, they've now won five of the last seven titles. Uh, last season was their third in a row, and that was the the second time they'd done third in a row. The last time being in the late nineteen seventies under the legendary Ernst Happel. So they are in the middle of a of a very good and successful period. And at the moment, there are a number of sides who are kind of jockeying and trying very hard to 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 compete with them for for the title. Antwerp probably being the most interesting example at the moment. They've been spending some some pretty serious money because their owner Paul Gasons, uh, who owns the the, the Gemmelco Group, uh, the building company, is is um, is a very wealthy man and is is very very keen to to catch club. All right, I say. I mean, I wasn't aware of the sort of the the ownership dynamics. I mean, my knowledge of Belgian football kind of extends to seeing who's doing well on the table and who's playing in European football. But um, no, that's really interesting. Um, sort of from a from my viewpoint, it looks as though that even though they've they've had that perfect start in the Champions League with those first three games, um, winning all of them and conceding none, that there's been a little bit of inconsistency uh, at domestic level. Um, in, for example, last weekend, losing 2-0 to, to Vestalo uh, in the same week that they've they've beat Atletico Madrid. Um, I know there was a bit of rotation there. I know there was probably mitigating factors that there was a few players coming back from injury, such as Noah Long. Um, but it, would you say that is it is it to do with the squad maybe not being big enough or, or not being experienced enough to compete you know, four days apart on multiple fronts. You know, maybe like we see in in the Premier League with teams who ordinarily don't qualify for European competition, who then find themselves struggling on both fronts when their squad is really stretched. Yeah, I think I think it kind of took took a lot of people by surprise. I mean, the interesting thing is club uh, club have now dropped points. Uh, unexpectedly uh, twice immediately after Champions League games uh, after big wins and you mentioned the rotation and I, I think that's probably a factor I mean interestingly this weekend when they lost to Westerlo um, really they battered Westerlo um, and, and deserved a lot more out of the game and, and that's the beautiful thing about football sometimes the narrative playing out in front of you is completely confounded by what actually happens and, and Westerlo grabbed two goals pretty much against the run of play. I mean, all, all we should credit them, they defended extremely well um, against what was pretty much an onslaught for most of the match and, and, and managed to, um, yeah, people would probably call it a smash and grab. And in some respects it was, but that's the second time they've done that after a big European game. And I think it's one of those things that just happens to the to the best sides sometimes. Interestingly, this weekend, um, Ferran Yukla was, was rested from the, the match squad. Um, and that, to me, was perhaps the biggest factor. I mean, he's been having a, a really good season. And I did wonder after this weekend whether it wasn't, you know, it was a combination of how good he's been, but a sign of his increasing importance um, under Carl Ofkins. Um, because I think when he's playing, it's obvious to me now when you watch club that other players take confidence from the very fact he's on the pitch. 
Um, and when other players have to step up when he hasn't been playing, which hasn't been that often, um, you know, they've not quite been able to, to kind of get over the line in games. And I, and I find that interesting. So he's, he's got much more influence than simply what he does. That's how I feel about it. But equally, the, the first game they lost as well... Um, after after a big Champions League win it was a few weeks ago uh, against Standard Liège and uh, Euclid didn't start that game. He didn't come on till much later when they were having to chase the game as well. So it was it was very interesting to see him not in the match day squad, and I think that was arguably the biggest single factor and maybe why they didn't get anything out of this weekend. Even though they created a huge amount and deserved to get something, it was it was a slightly bizarre result in in, in a few respects. They've been doing exceptionally well this season in the Champions League. I think they have been punching above their weight. It's been an absolute delight uh, for me to see a Belgian side punish bigger sides for, for once. Normally club are on the receiving end of, of, of these kind of um, results. So it's been great to see them consistently taking advantage of you know what would be considered bigger sides not playing as well as uh, as they could and now putting themselves in a, in a fantastic position and starting to, to draw a lot of attention because of that yeah I mean you look at that that group the composition of it and you've got Leverkusen um, you've got Porto and you've got Atletico Madrid you know first of all they're not teams that you associate with you know putting loads of goals past um, but club have been have been really good at you know, at attacking, but also just keeping it tight at the back in those games, um, which makes that inconsistency all the more baffling, doesn't it? Um, as you say, they probably will end up qualifying for the for the knockout rounds, um, having picked up nine points from the first three matches. Um, but you touching on Ferran Yutla there, um, who's a player who people may not have heard of before. I certainly wasn't um, well aware of him before he, he moved to, to club um, in the summer. Um, he, he scored a bit of background. He scored uh, 19 goals in 32 appearances, league appearances for Barcelona's B team last season uh, and has managed six goals in his first 10 Belgian Super League, uh, Belgian Pro League appearances this year. And that is without taking into consideration the two goals and two assists that he's got in those first three uh, Champions League fixtures as well. So, I mean, you can talk about the, the intangible influence that he has on this team and perhaps where that's how that's missing when he doesn't play, but also the actual, you know, the, the quantifiable aspects of him playing. You know, he is by and large covering for the the loss of Charlotte de Ketelaer single handedly, um, which is certainly not what was what was expected upon his arrival. Um, but you know, he's he's even doing you know keeping Roman Yeremchuk out of the eleven, a Ukrainian international who has in previous seasons been quite quite prolific. Um, in especially in European games, uh, maybe not Champions League, but certainly Europa League. Um, just a, a bit of background on on him, um, Scott. You know what what has, has Ferran Yutkla been like in in Belgium this season, and what's what's the reception been uh, for him? Well, club club have been following him for quite some time. Um, I'm I'm led to understand before the kind of transfer went went through, and um, now that he's been drawing a lot more attention. Um, in, in recent weeks, which I think is largely down to him starting to really contribute on on the kind of Champions League stage, um, scoring goals there. That's really what's, I think, kind of got people's attention. Um, you know, we've been asked a lot, well, you know, why didn't sides bigger than club, you know, maybe maybe try and pick him up 
um, speculatively, you know, o- over the summer. And I, I think the truth is, um, I think sides often hesitate when a player who is clearly good and has a tremendous amount of potential, albeit he was doing pretty well for the Barcelona B side, there's always a lingering doubt amongst other big clubs that if someone can't break into the senior team, then what might be the issue behind that? And in truth, there isn't always one. Um, and I think club uh, were able to move very fast um, and, and benefit from from that hesitation um, and decide, you know what, we're going to throw six or seven million up front of this, um, speculate, because we know he's a good player and we're pretty certain that he'll be able to to really do the business at, you know, the top level in, in Belgium. And he's now settled, I think, in Belgium and, and starting to show kind of ha- how good he is. Interesting player, actually, kind of quite small in stature, stocky, strong, reasonably low centre of gravity, works the channels very well. Um, he's an instinctive striker as well, which is what makes him very difficult to play against. You know, quite old-fashioned in that sense. He will, he will shoot on sight, um, and he has a very positive effect on on the players around him. And it's clear now in recent weeks, over the last month or so, um, he's really starting to develop a a, a really good understanding with both Kamal Soa. Um, and on the right wing, uh, who can also play in the left wing, but also Andreas Skov Olsen as well, um, who who's a really important player for for club these days. He is um, he's a player with a um, a strong appetite and seems to be really enjoying his time in Belgium as well. And you know he can contribute a lot. He's an interesting player, very flexible. But Uglas at clearly at the top of his game at the moment. And as you were saying, he's keeping Roman Yaramchuk out of the side, um, who came in right at the end of the transfer window. And the interesting thing about Yaramchuk is, I think a lot of us expected him to perhaps play more often with with Yukla. Um, But they've been sticking largely with the one up front and nobody's going to drop Yukla with the form he's in. But Yaramchuk, again, just for a second, the interesting thing there is, he's now the the record transfer signing in, in Belgium. I mean, club, paid, uh, I think the total deal was in the region of 19 million, they paid about 16 million up front and the add-ons take it up to about 19. So this is a player who's played in Belgium before proven at that level uh, an Ukrainian international, really good player, really good all-round player um, 19 million you know, uh, biggest incoming transfer in Belgian football history can't, can't get a start at the moment um, and is having to just, you know, wait for his opportunities um, and get 20, 25 minutes here or there. So, you know, Yukla is, you know, um, really, yeah, at, at the top of his game at the moment. And if he can continue that, then, you know, the interest is only going to increase, I think. Yeah, there's, it's an embarrassment of, of riches in terms of attacking talent at, at club, uh, particularly this season. Um, you know, there's there's obviously Noah Long as well, who we've discussed on this podcast at, at length quite a few times before. Um, Andreas Skovolson, um, who you touched on there. Um, Yaremchuk, um, again, 19 million. I wasn't aware of the fee. That's a huge fee for, for Belgium, isn't it? Um, but Skov Olsen is, is probably the one that I want to discuss uh, next because he's somebody who three or four years ago was 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 just scoring goals for fun in Denmark with Nordsjælland went to Bologna in Syria and and really found it difficult to to have a, a a big impact there um i think his is probably a case of just taking too big of a step too soon um and now he's he's back sort of in northern europe he's in belgium now with with club and he seems to be really thriving since since joining in in january um what i've got down here is nine goals in in 24 league appearances, which for a wide attacker or a winger or whatever you want to describe him as, um, is, is really good going. 
um, even especially given that this is a team which appears to be servicing the the front man pretty well. Um, I mean, what is your your take on Skov Olsen? You know, how how has he adapted well? How does he link up well with Jukla? Like, how does this work for for club? Well, I was alluding to kind of how flexible he is as as a player as well, and I think that that that's a big factor in this. The, the exciting thing about Skov Olsen is he actually looked really really good from the the first five minutes he came on the pitch. Um, you know, in his first game towards the sort of the late on late on last last season, and unfortunately, kind of he got a when he first came to club, um, he picked up an injury quite early, so he had a, a slightly faltering start. Um, and his first few games, it was obvious he wasn't quite a hundred percent fit, and he was still working himself, um, you know, up to kind of full fitness. But what was immediately apparent, and what what made me think, okay, this is a right good player here, actually, was the fact that he looked really, really good when he wasn't even a hundred percent fit. So it was frightening to think of how good he he could be once he did work himself up to full match fitness, which he has been for a while now um i think is he's um he's equally effective as a striker although that's not how he's been played he has a wonderful eye for goal you know i mean there'll be a lot of shots on target come in from him he's a great provider um and i i think the the ability to interchange with with kamal soa as well who can play on on, on either wing um gives carl ofkins um bruges t1 you know a kind of real embarrassment of riches there um and the thing about Eukla as well is coming back to him is you know he he doesn't mind dropping deep either so the interchanging between these you know these top 3 which is now kind of commonplace in a lot of top sides you know that attack and triumvirate you know that's that that seems to be the the Bruges equivalent of, of of that model and they seem to have found a mix which is now working very very well for them and you mentioned Noah Lang interestingly Noah Lang's kind of fallen out of the picture a little bit partly because he's he's had some injuries but also because his form really did dip towards the tail end of last season when there was an expectation that he was leaving and in the end it didn't happen um, and you know, as a result of that, he suffered and kind of not been able to get back into the side when players who'd come in while he was out have actually done very well. So he's, um, you know, for a player who was very much at the forefront of a lot of people's minds, and and he'd been very impressive for a while, which had brought him to the brink of a transfer. After that not happening, I think, um, you know, there were some question marks around his his kind of temperament that go back to his days at Ajax, um, which is how he ended up at club. Of course, you know they were able to benefit from from Ajax. You know, wanting wanting rid of him actually because of you know a perceived attitude problem, which we have seen a little bit of in Belgium. He has got himself into trouble a couple of times, but that's another really good player who you know you know has just kind of receded into the background a little bit. You know, so it all speaks to the the depth and quality of of Karlofgren's squad really. Yeah, it's interesting to hear that about about Lang because I mean some of the the fees which were being touted sort of last summer and the summer before that, um, which to be honest, given his his output in Belgium, you would have been quite you would have felt quite justified in paying. Um, to hear that you know he's now sort of falling down the pecking order ever so slightly is um, yeah, it, it's it's surprising to say the least. But again, he's a, he's an option who I believe he started against Westerlo at the weekend. Um, he's somebody who can definitely come back into the fold and and really impact a game. Um, so even in reserve, as we've been saying, that the attacking riches are 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 quite um, are quite beneficial to to Carl Hofkins. Um, just looking sort of at the the squad composition, the the makeup of of Club Brugge's squad. Um, you know, you've got it. It seems to me, at least on the surface, quite balanced in terms of the players who are who are featuring quite regularly. You know, you've got I've separated them into two, three 
distinct groups and you've got your over 28s, you know, the likes of Mr. Champions League, Hans Van Aken, um, Simon Mignolet, Dennis Adoy, um, Brandon McKelly and Kasper Nielsen. Um, and then you, you sort of your under 23s, but more experienced than your typical under 23s, you know, your uh, Abba Silla, Bjorn Meyer, uh, Raphael Onyedika from, from Denmark, Jutkla, Sowa and Skov Olsen, as we've just been discussing. Um, but then you've also got un- some under 18s, uh, or rather players who are 18 and under who are playing a first team role a you know bit part from the bench this season and those are ones which I'm I'm really interested to see how their development continues because clearly there are opportunities for them at a top top belgian club who are going to be competing at the top level of of european football this season no doubt um you know antonio nusa uh, norway youth international um Cisse sandra who was fantastic for for club in the uefa youth league last season um, uh, and Jonas Spillers, who I believe also started uh, for, for club's first team at the weekend. Um, is, is that something which is, you know, t- typically um, you'd come to expect with club that there's there's a good sort of um, squad composition of, of players with lots of different ages, but um, st- a steady stream of opportunities for young players? Yeah, I think there's a I think there's a sense, Joe, that we're, we're kind of almost seeing the start of a new cycle at club, and and what I mean by that is when Philippe Clamont was still there, um, there was a kind of feeling during his last season uh, there before he left to go to Monaco that things were getting a little bit stale at club, and that there were a lot of players who uh, perhaps weren't being challenged enough for their position, um, which led to a lot of players going through the motions and not performing at the level that they probably could. Um, and I think one of the interesting things that Carl Ofkins has done since he came in is, and because he's been at the club for for a long time actually, um, there's a long connection there. Um, he he likes to give youth youth a chance for for a number of reasons actually. Uh, you know, he used to be the under eighteen head coach and the under twenty one head coach, so he's a lot of experience structurally with the club's academy and 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 how they're bringing players through, and he has been. Um, responsible for for playing a lot of a lot of young talent, some of which was already at the club, but some of which was bought in as well. You know, Onyedika, who they paid a big fee for this summer, he's slotted in and and been really impressive. And there's already talk that he might not be around for for too long. Hopefully, you know, we get another you know year, eighteen months before he, he might move on. But he's already attracting quite a lot of attention already. Um, and this is his his, his first season there. Uh, Kamal Soa who we mentioned, he's still only 22. Um, they paid a big fee for him as well when he came in. I think they paid $9 million, um, which was which huge at the time. And then he was immediately loaned out, which was a big surprise to everybody. But he's come back and really benefited from that loan. Uh, Abakar Silla as well, 19-year-old centre-back, um, seems to be slotting in there and not looking out of place at all. You mentioned John Spielers. Um, he's an, an interesting young talent as well who really has kind of catapulted himself into kind of Carl Hofkin's consciousness. He's been really impressed by him, which is why he's had some starts recently. Um, and the academy obviously there is 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 functioning very, very well. Um, and there is a sense that Hofkins is is willing to to blood that new talent and use that energy um, you know, to kind of um renew club and that that kind of malaise that, that was there under the the last year under Clemon seems to have completely disappeared and they do look a more a more energetic side. I mean Eucla who we've been talking about in detail, Eucla's uh, twenty three now, Skov Olsen's still only twenty two. So this is it's not the youngest team in Belgium, 
but it's it's one of the youngest. And you know, when you consider the average age of a lot of the first team starters at the moment, I think you know the future for this team over the next few few years, if they can keep um, the the kind of core together, is is really pretty promising for them. Yeah, certainly. And when you consider that probably the 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 brightest star of of last season, uh, Charlotte de Catalaire was was sold. Admittedly, yes, for for big money, and they've reinvested that. Um, that you, you you have to commend the job that that Huffkins has has done so far um, in keeping club competitive and certainly in the Champions League. Um, because you know, as you say, there's I mean, Spillers is what not seventeen, Silla nineteen. Um, I mean, just looking at sort of last night's game between Copenhagen and and Man City, you know, I think there were about five or six players under the age of twenty. Um, in that game, it's similar in a sense at, at club where you've got five or six or seven sometimes players aged you know 23 and below in that starting lineup and you'd probably say the strongest starting lineup um this season as well um you're talking about the academy there and how there is sort of a, a steady stream and that Huffkins is somebody who's going to want to to give opportunities um last year they were in the UEFA youth league as they were in the, the champions league uh, the senior team was sorry um and they were a team that I followed quite closely in the the youth league because they were in PSG's group along with Manchester City as well, um, and they finished above Man City uh, in second, but below PSG who finished first, which meant they went into the first knockout round in the youth league, um, eliminated by uh, FC Midtjylland from Denmark, um, and they really shouldn't have been. They, they went two 0 up through Antonio Nusa, um, but they threw away that that lead and, and ended up bowing out, losing three two, and I, I felt that was such a missed opportunity because they could have gone so much further in the youth league last season given how much um it, just how much talent they had you know we're talking the the Nusas and the and the Cici Sandras um of that squad um but it's good to see that they're they're actually there is there's been a sort of a conveyor belt and they have progressed to become um you know first team players in 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 dribs and drabs this season um do you think i mean first of all could would you be able to give us sort of a, a background on the um the the under twenty three or the under twenty one side at, at club and how them playing in sort of the the second tier if you will of of Belgian football how that potentially gives them the the benefit um, when they're coming up against under nine fellow under nineteen sides um, in the youth league. Well, this is a really interesting one because um, listeners might not know that the division below the top division, which is called the Challenger Pro League, um, now consists of a number of under twenty three sides. Uh, in Belgium, uh, clubs under 23 side, which is kind of called Club Next officially, um, are one of the four uh, under 23 sides um, in that division. And this is something kind of quite new in Belgium, and it's really to increase the size of that division and to hopefully increase the competitiveness. Um, it's quite, I mean, it's very early days with it, and the Pro League have come out and said that they're going to give it a couple of years to see how this works before reviewing that position. Um and we did a big in-depth pre-season preview of the Challenger Pro League, um, looking at every team before the season started. And we, we talked about some of the, the the little rules that people might not be aware of around how that works. And it is actually possible, for example, for, for some senior players um, to play for, for Club Next. Um, which which is a bit odd, providing they haven't played above a certain number of games for the senior side. And what we have started to see this season already with a couple of teams is some top talent uh, featuring on the Saturday 
um, for the under-23 side and then playing, or certainly at least being in the match squad and getting a little bit of game time uh, the following day for, for, for the senior side. So there is this sense that, you know, under-23 players are... Um, not only playing more football, but they're playing more competitive football. Um, there is an argument around, you know, the, the fairness of that to, to, to other sides in the Challenger Pro League um, and whether ultimately it's obviously the bigger sides because they're the ones who who have these sides in that division ultimately benefit from having their, their talent being developed. Um, so it's, it's kind of something to keep an eye on because a lot of fans, regardless of their team, are not particularly keen on this. Um, but we have seen some quite interesting things. You know, we've we've seen players doing very well for under twenty three sides, um, particularly at um, clubs' great rivals Anderlecht. Of course, um, they've had a number of players who who've played on the Saturday, as I was saying, done very well. I mean, we had uh, Julian Durenville actually a number of weeks ago at Anderlecht actually scored on the Saturday for the under twenty threes. Uh, came on with half an hour to go for Anderlecht, uh, the senior team, the following day. And scored again, which was which was quite an extraordinary story. I'd never seen anything like that. So there are some interesting quirks across the Belgian football and landscape in terms of how all of that works, um, which is benefiting the big sides more than more than anybody else. And it's, it's certainly worth kind of keeping an eye on. And I think the Challenger Pro League in particular is a is a division in which um, there is a lot of talent that people aren't aware of, um, and. Is, is being watched more closely by by scouts of, of different kinds um, from from all over Europe. I know that from some of my own conversations with agents as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it it's it's the case of, you know, young players, 16, I mean, Duranville's 16 still, I believe. And then, you know, the likes of Noam Bamba at, um, at club this season, um, Arne Engels, who I think is 18 or 19, and um, them having weekly, opportunities to play essentially men's football you know they're playing the likes of Bearshot, Beveren, Lommel um, you know those types of teams in the in the Challenger Pro League um, and then they're also then going to, to effectively test out what they've learned and test out how uh, how they've developed when they're playing for for clubs under 19s in the in the youth league as well um, so and, and then on top of that they're also getting sort of cameo appearances for the for the first team uh, you know maybe off the bench in in the in the pro league as well so it's you know they're getting a lot of football and that's only going to benefit them provided that you know the all the sort of sports science stuff is 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 monitored which i'm sure it sure it is at a club with uh, clubs resources um but apart from those i mean feel free to mention them but in in clubs under 23 side um, who are the who are the the players that really stand out in in your opinion from sort of the conversations that you've had with you know your scouts and agents who are who are watching um, Belgium's second tier? Well, I think the two immediate standouts are ones that that are kind of already known now. Um, Cici Sandra, who you touched on earlier, is I think an incredible talent. I think is somebody who is going to become a regular, um, bar in certain circumstances. I I think for a club. Um, you know, we've seen him on the bench a lot this season, um, even though he hasn't featured. Jorn Spielers, who we touched on a little bit earlier, I mean, he's had an extraordinary time recently when you think that, you know, he's within the, the space of a few days, he's he's played for Club Next. 
Um, he's played um, his first 90 minutes for the senior side and he's also got Champions League football as well, uh, which is a, a real added plus that I don't think he saw coming um, as if getting, you know, your your, your first proper start uh, for the senior team wasn't wasn't big enough um, in itself. They're the two major standouts for me um, and, and players definitely to kind of keep an eye on. Interestingly, uh, the club next, uh, their head coach at the moment is uh, Nicky Ayn. Nicky um, Nicky's got a lot of experience in Belgian football. He used to be the the head coach at Beveren. Um, left Belgium for a little while. I went to Welsh football um, after Beveren's uh, relegation, and he came back this summer. He came back from Welsh football to to take up the T one job um, with Club Next, and that was a that was an interesting appointment that nobody really saw coming. Um, these these players, like you say, you know, are, are benefiting. It's almost a kind of fast forward type approach, and it's one of the reasons why a lot of fans are feel a bit ambivalent about it because they they know that the top sides um, are going to benefit more than more than anybody else. Um, there are, as I was saying, some rules in place actually that that, that mean that those under twenty three sides ultimately, for example, can't can't win that title or or, or be promoted. Although rather bizarrely, as I say that. Um, the side currently sitting top of the Challenger Pro League is is the Anderlecht under twenty three side. Not only that, but they're the only undefeated side at the moment. So they they are absolutely flying, which is no surprise because the the academy um, at Nearpeed is is one of the most renowned in in, in Europe and has been for for, for a long time. Um, club are um, I think as I was saying, you know, are very keen and as Hofkins has made it obvious he's very keen to use the depth of of, of talent there. And because he's been at the club for so long and knows those structures, he's, he's kind of perfectly placed, I think, to make some of those key strategic decisions in which players might be the right ones to come through. I mean, he's been very brave. I mean, Jorn Spielers, for example, he was saying that, you know, he was just so impressed by the the, the speed of his development that he couldn't not uh, effectively try him out and reward him with some game time to, to see how he would respond at, at that level. And by and large, actually, he has done very well. He hasn't come in and and looked out of place at all, which is tremendously encouraging, obviously, for, for all of the work that's going on with under-23s and across the wider academy as well. Well, speaking of Nicky Hayen and um, and the, the club under-19s and under-21s and the various iterations and various competitions that they're in, um, they have today beaten uh, Atletico Madrid um, in Spain 2-1 in the Youth League. Uh, and speaking of sort of that fast-forward, I love that term, uh, in terms of development, uh, Kai Furo, um, who is a 15-year-old, uh, came off the bench to score for, for club. Uh, and I think that was the winning goal as well. So um, quite, a, oh no, it wasn't the winning goal, but um, it was uh, it was the, the, the equaliser for, for club today um, against Atletico Madrid in the uh, UEFA Youth League. It's, it's a very um, curious, and I feel like we could do a series of in-depth podcasts on, on this on this topic um, because you know there there are so many various little offshoots which I feel my my sort of my brain is like darting down that I want to ask. But um, while we keep it to a very palatable length, I've got a couple of quick fire questions before we finish the episode. Um, just very quickly, how far do you think they can go in the the Champions League this season, the first team squad? 
Oh, now there's a question. Um, I think it depends very much on on the draw. I mean, I I, I do expect them to win the group now, uh, barring something rather extraordinary. It really depends on the draw. I think um, this is where it comes back to how how good they've been in Europe this season. I mean, I think the expectation privately was, look, let's aim for for third minimum so that we continue um, to, to to stay at the the European table as long as possible. Um, but the the expectations have raised, and and with that, you know the the potential as well. The bottom line is, I think they've played their best football this season in Europe. So if they can maintain that, and I think it's very important, and I said that this week on the latest episode of the Belgian Football Podcast, I think it would be a mistake to go into the remaining games in the group now and just drop off a little bit and feel that most of the work had been done. I think they've set a standard now which they have to maintain because that's something that you just have to do regardless um, at that level. I think it depends on the draw. Um, I think if they get a reasonably favourable draw, then I think the expectation for them to get beyond the quarters um beyond the 16 uh, is is very much there so we'll we'll see what happens um and we're we're all very excited to see what does happen yeah absolutely um i can't wait i mean we're recording this just before uh, club play against atletico this evening so it'll be interesting to see what the result of that game is uh, and i'll definitely be keeping a close eye um second quick fire question i know they are currently 8 points off the top and antwerp do look quite imperious this season um do you think they can still be title challengers? Yeah, I, th- I think they definitely can. I mean, the 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 playoff system allows for all sorts of eventualities. Um, I think the important thing is that they don't fall any further behind than than the the kind of eight points they are at the moment. I mean, they're 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 third, eight points off the top. Um, because of the points halving, you don't really want to be in a position where you're any more than five or six points kind of behind. Um, if you get to seven or eight behind at that playoff stage, then it comes a bit difficult to turn it around. And I think it's only happened on two previous occasions that the side that didn't finish top come the playoffs didn't then go on to to win the playoffs. And even then, it was the side that was in, in, in second. There's a long way to go here. And, and this side has proved, actually, that they've, over the course of an number of seasons now, albeit there's a lot of players in that first team squad now that this is their, their you know, their first crack um, at regular uh, senior football that, you know, they, they know how to do it. They're seasoned campaigners and there's enough experience in there. You know, Hans Van Aken's still there. Uh, Clinton Mata as well, a really important player. Casper Nielsen, very experienced, um, come in this summer, really good player as well. So there is, there, there's some really good um technical um players in there who who the younger players are going to lean on and, and learn very much from who are very much part of the spine of that squad worth mentioning Simon Mignolet uh, the goalkeeper as well so I, I I don't think they'll be too worried about dropping some points recently because the the system here in Belgium allows for that to happen um and for you to still kind of catch up as well um although they're at a stage now where I think it's worth pointing out that they, they've probably they've probably used up the the, the the little bit of wiggle room that they that they did have, um, which depending on which way you look at it, is either very ominous for the other sides, um, or not. Third, quick fire question: um, Who do you envisage being the most important player for club this season? Doesn't have to be someone under the age of twenty three. It can be Casper Nielsen, for example, if you think that he's going to be the most important, or Simon Mignolet. 
Well, I mean, when we spoke about Eucla, I mean, I, I think um, at the moment he is probably the most important player, and it just comes back to what I was saying when we were talking about him. About I have a feeling now that um, aside from his goal contribution, just the influence he has on the players around him is is much bigger than anyone expected. You know, he injects a a sense of confidence in the in that entire team. Aside from Eucla, I think there are you know there are long standing unsung heroes there who will always be incredibly important to this side, even when they're not necessarily even playing that well. And it's because of their influence in the dressing room, things like that. You know, Hans Van Aken and, and Clinton Mata are absolute stalwarts there. Simon Mignolet, a goalkeeper, tends to play his best football in, in the biggest games as well. I mean, I, I've been saying, I've been quite open about saying that I think he's far from the best goalkeeper in Belgium, despite playing for, for one of the top clubs. I think there are better goalkeepers, but he always produces in, in, in big games. And he did that particularly at the end of last season in the playoffs against Union San Joao, funnily enough, where he had a number of saves which really helped um, club beat them twice and, and, and win them the title effectively. Um, so the the kind of combination, you know, what I mean, of of Euclid's output and and the the experience which has been there for a long time, which is the the bedrock of that side at the moment, I think, um, are gonna are, are gonna stand them in in, in good stead. Don't forget Scov Olsen as well, and probably definitely worth a big shout out for Onyedika, who's I mentioned earlier, who who's been tremendously impressive in in a short space of time so far, um, and I think he's only going to get better and better, and, and he seems to be forming a, a good understanding with with Vinakin um, and Casper um, Nielsen in the middle as well. Okie dokie, and one final quickfire question. Um... And it's a very scouted football oriented question. But who do you envisage being the teenager with the most minutes this season uh, across all competitions? Well, that's a really interesting one. Um, I think um, probably it's probably going to be an Anderlecht player, funnily enough. Um, but just because of the, uh, how how well they're playing at the moment, particularly the under twenty threes, it's difficult to pick one in particular. Um, Lucas Stazen obviously is doing incredibly well at the moment, um, starting to kind of get in and about the senior side there as well. So I think he's probably a good shout. Um, but either way, I think it's it's more likely to be an Anderlecht player than a club one. You can come back to me in that when it turns out to be a club one. <laughs> <laughs> Too, I think I will do. Um. I think we might um, invite you back onto the podcast towards the end of the season to sort of recap these predictions, but also to to uh, to give the lowdown on what has happened in Belgium this season because um, certainly piqued my interest um, and I, I do really want to see how club get on this season. And um, now that I have had probably the third or fourth explanation of how the league system works, I definitely, definitely think I'm going to follow it a little bit closer now. And the, the added, I don't know, um, the added novelty of the points being halved uh, before going into sort of the championship and relegation phase it, i don't know it's it, it intrigues me to say the least um but scott thank you very much for um for, for joining me on the scout football podcast um it's been a real pleasure to, to have you on and and best of luck with with everything with uh, coin consultancy and the, the bfp is, is there anything else that you you might want to to plug to to our listeners who um might have uh, equally been intrigued by what you've had to say today 
Well, if you want to check out what we're doing at the Belgian Football Podcast, you can you can find us um, at Belgian Podcast. Um, as I was saying, we've, we've got a weekly show that covers all the latest across Belgian football. Equally, if you want to get in touch with me directly, there's two ways to do so. Um, you can get in touch with my general Twitter, which is at Scott underscore coin, um, or you can get in touch with me at the consultancy, which is at coin uh, consultant. Excellent stuff. Well, thank you again, Scott, for joining me and thank you for tuning in to the Scout Football Podcast. We'll be back in the weeks to come. Stay safe, take care. Bye for now. For player profiles, in-depth features and exclusive interviews, visit sfhandbook.com to learn more about the best young football players in the world.